Welcome to the what? podcast. Oh, you took it this time. Oh, sorry. Okay. Sorry. No, that's okay. Initiative. <laughs> maybe we should set that ahead of time. We should maybe we should script some gonna... of this. You know. Okay. Yeah. Like who know. says welcome? Who say, who has a tagline? I don't know. Topic of tonight: Aerosmith. How much Aerosmith did you have you ever listened to? You know, all the classic rock stuff. I am embarrassingly not well versed on. I grew up listening to Donny Osmond and these little self-help tapes for kids that teach you to like have good manners and have self-confidence and share your gum with your siblings. Um, Was that all from your dad? I don't know who was the the person behind this. I think it was probably mom because dad had a few records, you know, dad got a student loan when he was in college because yeah. everyone was getting him. Yeah. Uh, he didn't need it, but he was kind of, I guess he just got one because everyone was getting him. And he's like, oh, I have all this money. So he bought a really nice stereo because he didn't, because <laughs> he worked. He had money. Right, he bought a stereo right. with the loan and then realized he was in debt and like gave it everything else back and right. uh, hated it. But anyway, so he had this stereo with like some records. So we had Boney M, Night Flight to Venus. We had, uh, I think that's it. We had a couple records that I don't even remember what they were. He right. never listened to him. Maybe maybe once, maybe like three times in my entire life, he's listened to some records. And mom listened to a lot of that self-help stuff for us and some Donny Osmond. Oh, the Wells Fargo wagon is a coming down the street. Oh, please let it be for me. <laughs> it's good. It's good stuff. Uh, so that's what okay. I listened to growing up. And oh. uh, so the classic rock just kind of... Right. Anyway, to answer your question, I know very little about little Aerosmith. So I know dad, stuff from Armageddon. I saw that yeah. movie. Well, that'll be a significant point later Ooh, in good. the okay. conversation. Um, my dad was big. He wasn't huge into classic rock, but he definitely had at least a greatest hits album for most major oh. classic rock bands. Cool. That's the way to do it. So, yeah. Like, I remember just being a kid, and one day my dad puts on Kiss, Detroit Rock City, and I'm like, Whoa. <laughs> what on earth is this? Yeah. This is way better than that crap mom makes us listen to in the car. <laughs> yes. Right? And then I like I was kind of hooked, and that was probably around 10 or 11. And then you started playing guitar when I was about 12, which meant I had to start playing guitar. Yeah, I remember and that. so a lot of what I started learning after I could kind of get to a point where I could teach myself was I just pick up classic rock CDs and play along and then give up at the solos. <laughs> sure. Pretty much. Yeah. So, yeah, so I knew, but same thing with Aerosmith. I knew the hits, but I didn't know much else than that. So they were, like, getting ready for this episode. I dug into their history a bit. So they formed from two other bands in Boston in the late 60s. And Steve Tyler actually used to play drums in one of these bands. No way. Yeah, he wasn't always oh, wow. a lead singer. Wow. So then he meets up with, so Joe Perry, who's the lead guitarist mm-hmm. of Aerosmith, had his own band called The Jam Band. And those two bands fall apart and kind of merge together to form Aerosmith. Okay. And S- Steve Tyler says, look, if I'm in the new band, I am not playing drums anymore. I'm singing and I'm the front man and that's it. And I think everybody else just didn't care. And they're like, okay, sure, whatever. whatever. You, nobody's getting paid, right? Like, yeah. If you yeah, want to be. Right. Whatever. We <laughs> just want to be play front music. man of this band that's not gone anywhere yet. Go ahead. Nobody's going to fight you. So. Huh. So Joe Perry's jam band was more of a blues band. And uh, so you can, when you listen to Aerosmith, you can hear a definite like heavy blues influence, especially in their early tracks. Okay, sure. Yeah. So I actually bought a brass slide on Saturday and I'm ah, trying to teach myself slide guitar. Nice, man. 
because I heard this guy on it was France's Got Talent or something like that, but he did a lap guitar uh, slide version of Teachers Leave Those Kids Alone or whatever by Pink sure. Floyd, and it was such a significant improvement on the original. I couldn't <laughs> believe it. It was like, that's it. I'm going to buy a slide. I'm teaching myself slide guitar because this hillbilly stuff is amazing. It's so good. Yeah, but that so that's the kind of sound that uh, Joe Perry would have come from is a heavy blues slide sure. guitar kind of. And some of the slide guitar I've been listening to is like, holy smoke. Like these guys are really amazing. But oh, anyway. Yeah, it's, it's cool stuff. It's really cool yeah. stuff. And I think it's like uh, the thing with blues, I don't want to say it's easy, but I kind of want to say it's easy because – it's just like you do 12 bar blues and so you're yeah. just repeating three chords and your lyric structure is very simple. It's like, I have a problem. I have a problem. I have a solution to my problem and now I'm moving on. And that's all you do for your lyrics. <laughs> and then you do a really, really amazing solo in between all that. And I think, so blues, blues pioneered the guitar solo and the slide mm. I think really makes a guitar talk because you can give the guitar vibrato and yeah. when people talk, we slide from word to word. You don't have like sharp ends at every word. Yeah, if you do in the slide right, you you skip the frets, right? So you get all the little semi micro tones between the actual, yeah. you know, A four forty whatever hard notes. Right. So you get a real talking kind of sound. Yeah, for sure. And so that's where the guitar solo becoming almost a voice. It came from blues, and then mm. merged into rock and roll. Um, and that kind of that feeds into the first song they wrote called Walking Out. So they're just jamming in an apartment that the band all lived in. Oh, wow. And Steve Tyler hears Joe Perry play this riff. And what Steve Tyler said was, the riff was like a sentence to me, and I just had to put the words in. It was like the guitar was talking to him. And of course, they're all on drugs at this point in time. But sure. it really, and that was how they started writing songs, was that Joe helps. would come up with these riffs. And then Steve he just like he felt the music it spoke to him and he put the words in it was kind of so, so they were are we talking oh, like rhythm riffs or we're talking slide riffs like the whole de- like leads any kind of lead <laughs> any kind of slide any kind of whatever they're doing it was cool. just these leads would and you listen to their first album and Steve Tyler's trying to hone in on a very blues vocal so he doesn't even sound like this high pitched screaming Steve Tyler we know today he kind of sounds oh. like a 40 year old black man if you listen to their first two albums, yeah. And he said in interviews that that's what he was trying to channel, is this kind of blues sound in his vocals. Right. Um, but then it wasn't until their third album where they hit their stride, which was – it was Toys in the Attic, and that was the album that had Walk This Way and Sweet Emotion on it. Okay, and that's when they're starting to kill it. That's where they're getting their sound. Yeah. So they had – like they released an album every year for five years. Holy cow, Really? Yeah, and a total of six in the 70s. And then they did four albums in the 80s, two albums in the 90s, and then three albums since 2000. Wow. But I mean, six albums in 10 years. Like, these guys work their tails off. Yeah, that's a lot of work, man. And apparently... An album a year, five in five years is crazy. Yeah. insane. So I think there's, like, this idea. I definitely experienced it when my band recorded their terrible demo is like it's almost like songwriting is your hobby and it's this thing you do for fun mm-hmm. and then you start recording it and you realize how terrible you are when it's right back to you oh man yes and it's like oh 
like the guy who's recording us, he's like, have you guys ever played with a metronome before? <laughs> right? such, a, such a like well-phrased, tactful insult. Yeah, right. So we're have you ever like, heard of a metronome or keeping time or uh, like, is this the first day you're playing? Because I did the same thing my first day. Like a metro what? <laughs> yeah, dude. And then you try playing with a metronome and you're like, where this am I? This is so hard. This yeah, is the hardest man. thing I've ever done, right? It's so true, right? It's funny how, how putting things on tape just picks up every teeny little nuance that you will never hear otherwise. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you think you're great. You think you've, you've got this song down pat, and you go and you record it once, and you're like, yeah, that was a good take. Let's listen to it. And from second two, you're like, ooh, who played that? That's not the thing. I just, what? That's yeah. really bad. This sounds way – is there any way we can record in my mom's basement because it sounds way better it's, when we play there? It sounds there. great down there, yeah. Yeah. Right. Huh. So I think like we get this idea when we see musicians going into the studio to record and we just think, oh, man, they've got such an easy life. Like all they do is play in front of adoring right. fans and they've got this hobby that's now become their job. But really like recording an album is hard work. It's, it's a ton of work, man. And not only do you have to – keep time and make sure the tracks are perfect. You have to create the content with the pressure of worrying about, are people going to buy this? Yeah. Yeah. Right. You got to write good stuff. You've got to, um, you've got to record it well in the studio. I found too, especially with my first recording with Poncho, we, there's a lot of things that you don't think about when you're just playing live because all the noise drowns out like transitions between the chorus and the next verse. Yeah. You don't realize that there's, there's something that has to happen there. And because you're playing it live, you just kind of like slide your hand down the fretboard and do the next thing. But when you put it on tape, you're like, oh, there's nothing there. It's We have to write something quick. Yeah. And yeah, it's a, it's a ton of work. And doing – now, <clears throat> I will say if you're really good at your craft, if you're a good musician, then you should be able to – I don't know who the guy is that says this. I think it's like Steve Vai or something who says – you want to be able to do if you can't do it in three takes you don't know it well enough right so if they are really really good you should be able to do it you know pretty quickly and and hammer it down but even in that case i think if if that's how talented these guys were and how skilled these guys were at the time that they can go in and in three takes nail the solo nail the rhythm nail everything i think you still have to go back over and over because the you you lay down the drums the drums are perfect you throw the guitar over top the guitar is perfect but then now that it's on tape you hear hey you know what in the pre-chorus these don't really sound that great together actually yeah and this thing over here the timing we played it correctly but the timing is weird and you you're doing rewrites in the studio um and yeah man i've spent i've spent so much time in studios just sitting through listening to things going over doing the take again trying to figure out how to make this thing mesh with this other thing and it's a it's a ton of work it's and a I, lot of time like even i have tried in my later years just for the fun of it to try and write another song and i sure. have this massive writer's block about writing lyrics right and part of it is because i haven't even tried since i was 18 to do something like that but when i was probably from the age of 12 to 18 all I would do in school on the back of the notepad, like I'd write on the one side and then flip it over and start writing song lyrics, right? So I'd write <laughs> notes on one side of paper, flip it over, and then start writing song lyrics. So I only had – Yeah. That was all I did. It was all I could think about. Now I try and do it and it's like 
it's like I'm emotionally undressing, <laughs> undressing myself and I feel too vulnerable and I just like, I just cannot do it. Like you have nothing to talk about anymore. A bit of that and a bit of like, if I write this song and it sounds like it's about a relationship, is my wife going to grill me about like, what the, <laughs> the hell are you writing about? Who's this other woman? Who's this other woman? It, it, there's just a lot more fear and things kind of tied Interesting. up. Interesting. I'm just wor- so there's this thing where you're young, you don't care about anything and you don't think about sure. anything. But then even like being out of practice from writing lyrics, all I'm saying, like I've realized now in looking back that it was a lot of work. Like I put a lot of work into it and that's why uh, I was able sure. to come up with what I came up with. And now that I haven't tried it for 15 years, it's really hard. Yeah, it is. But but we think of artistic things as just being like a free flowing bit of consciousness that just comes out of us when we're ready when we are inspired, but really it takes like years of work to get the inspiration. I think, yeah. And I, I've, I've moved away from writing music so much lately. I mean, I was doing a ton of it back in the day and yeah, I spent hours and hours and hours plugging away, writing riffs, you know, tweaking riffs, making a new riff that fits with that riff writing. I didn't do much lyric writing cause I've never been good at it, but, um, yeah, just so much music. and But not just music, man. <clears throat> if you look at like uh, Brandon Sanderson is a popular fantasy author and he puts right. out like a book every other year. Yeah. The guys, he's putting in so much time. Stephen King, his his writing method is... Uh, write eight hours a day, right? Read read four hours a day, write four hours a day. But it's okay. a full-time right. job. He's, he's writing, yeah. you know, it's a full-time job. 40 hours a week, he's putting into that stuff. It's not like he comes home after dinner, like pulls out the notepad, throws down whatever, you know, a 2,000, 5,000 words and then goes to bed or yeah. watches an episode of The Office and then goes to bed. No, man, he's he's plugging away at that stuff. And then there's rewrites. You finish that book, you go back and like edit it and you go back and edit it again and you send it to your editor and then they say it sucks and then you go back and edit it four more times. Yeah, like I tried National Novel Writing Month and I sent you my terrible yeah, novel. Yeah, that's right. And I like one thing I didn't realize, was, like you told me, was that I didn't keep character names straight. Right. Yeah. So that's and then it was just it was so hard. It, that tough, was probably man. one of the hardest things I've ever done was put together fifty thousand words and try and make it coherent. And then I tried to go back and edit it, and I was like screw this, I'm starting over. <laughs> right? Like I would rather start over than edit this piece of garbage. Because it just sucks now that I'm reading it. Oh, it's it. so bad. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's true. It's really interesting how much, uh, yeah. And, so the, and yeah. for me, I find too that like often I, I, I'm planning the novel, I'm writing my novel, and I'm planning out the rest of it. And so I have this weird thing where Stephen King, he doesn't really plan his novels most of the time. He just starts writing and they kind of appear versus yeah. like J.K. Rowling had Harry Potter planned out you know, down to pretty much, well, many details were all like thoroughly laid out before she started. Yeah. And I find if I, a lot of times, if I have too much planning ahead of time, then I feel like I've done it already. I've already created. The yeah, thing. I agree. I agree. So there's this weird balance of like, you make the song and then, or you make the piece of art and then like, how much planning do you do? And then how much tweaking do you have to do? And for a while, when I'm just building, like planning that novel ahead of time, it's really fun and I can get passionate about it and I can put a lot of time into it and enjoy myself. Yeah. But then it becomes work when you have to put the words to paper and turn yeah. that idea into the novel and 
and I'm not flowing. I sit down to type and I'm just like, uh, I could be, I could be like eating a pizza and, yeah. you know, playing pool on my phone. I and really want to do that. I <laughs> you know? feel like there, I feel like there's been a study on this for, with goal setting as well. Where like if you too thoroughly plan out your goal, your mind feels like you've accomplished it already huh. and your motivation goes all the way down. Interesting. So like I guess like the most effective ways for setting a goal is you set the goal, you refer back to the goal on a regular basis, but you don't like – if you over plan how you're going to achieve the goal, your brain starts to feel like you've accomplished it already. Makes sense. And you just don't – you don't care to do it. Because the, the discovery – is half the is maybe more yeah. of the enjoyment, you know. And yeah. I always, when we were writing music, I always felt like I wasn't writing music. I felt like it already existed. These songs already existed out in the universe somewhere, and I was just uncovering them like Alan Grant with a with a little brush, yeah. you know, yeah, like digging them out of the ether. And and so when you're doing that and you're writing a song and then and you're trying to figure out what goes in this part and then somebody plays a thing and you're like, oh crap, that's it. And it all works together, and that that like yeah. rush of discovering the way it's supposed to be is is thrilling, and it's awesome. It's it's like addicting. And so then, when you've done all that, and now you're in the studio, and just like, nope, play it again. You suck. Yeah, like it's just it's so tedious. So it, getting back it, to Aerosmith, it's a like, lot of work. It's <laughs> these a lot guys of work. Hard, like to yeah. put out an album every year for five years is a lot of hard work. Are they touring in that time too? Uh, yeah, like they're touring around in the local area, I think. Okay. Well, I mean, they toured, they went on th- over 30 tours in the last 50, almost 50 years that they've been a band. Yeah, geez. So they, like that's the other side of their work ethic is they've spent more years on tour than not on tour. Yeah. And oh. apparently, like the way they got signed was they found out that the president of Columbia Records was going to be at a bar one night and they okay. paid to play at that bar so that they he would see them to play there. Wow. Because they knew like these were really committed, hardworking guys. I just think yeah. because the rock stars get the image of just being these wild party boys, which Aerosmith was right. But these, they were not lazy guys. Hmm. And Steve Tyler tells these stories on his Joe Rogan interview of just like, seeing the guys like drunk or passed out or whatever. And he gets them all together and he starts yelling at them. And he's like, what the, like, we don't have a freaking song. We've need to have 10 songs on this next record or else we're all out of a job. Like get, get wow. up and start writing a song. Like he was a boss, right? Like Interesting. He, he was a boss in this band. So, huh. I mean, and that's great, man. I think that's what you need. Oh yeah, you know if ever you you really yeah you really need that drive to make that stuff happen. It's so hard to make to make music and have people like it enough to pay you enough to make a living out of it. You, yeah, you, yeah, you, and you need to treat it like a business. A hundred percent, which we covered last episode. True. Just want to plug that for our faithful <laughs> listeners. If you're just starting go, now, you're just joining two, us now. Go, go back find to episode, episode one. one. <laughs> okay, so I mean. With all the albums they've released, yeah. so 5, 9, 11, 14 albums, like, can you name as many singles as albums? No. I don't think I, I could. I think truly I know Dream On, Walk This Way, Sweet Emotion, and the Armageddon one. 
don't want yeah. us to think, oh, living on the edge. Yeah, I know that. Okay, love in an elevator. I'm on their Wikipedia now. Janie's got a gun. Right. That, now you're now you're cheating, right? Dude like, looks like a late. Yeah, off the top of my head, but I'm not going to be good at that anyways. But I couldn't either, and I, like I, I wouldn't say they're one of my favorites, but I like them. Yeah. So you think about all the albums they put out with all the songs they put out, along with all their radio hits. They did churn out a bunch of garbage. I sure. Think. Like, and so sometimes when you're trying to create, when you get into creative space, it's like, no, I'm only putting down songs that are perfect. I'm only writing a book if it's perfect. I'm only doing right. this thing if it's perfect. But I mean, these guys became a hugely successful band, but a lot of what they churned out was just kind of mediocre garbage. Yeah. Like their, their first couple albums didn't really chart. They didn't chart high. Yep. And they didn't really have a breakthrough single till their third album. So they put out two albums of mostly just kind of whatever. Huh. And then and then came out with their big album. I wonder how many they were selling back then to keep Not a going. Lot. Like, I like think they were signed first, at this point, right? Yeah, they got signed with Columbia. Their first album, it ended up hitting platinum. I think it's one, one time platinum, but I think in the beginning it hit gold. Sure. Their first couple albums. And Toys in the Attic has gone seven times. And by now, I mean, sure. But at the time, yeah. you've got just, you just got signed to Columbia, and you're not selling many records. Like That's got to be tough to keep going. Although you right. kind of have to. So I don't know how they all work, but I know my buddy, um, he got a deal from Universal, I think, for uh, his metal band. Right. And they got offered a contract. But the deal was it was a million dollars to pay for the recording and like pay for the album and advertising and a tour bus and like the whole thing. Yeah. So it was the first record was a million dollar contract. And if they don't earn back that money in those record sales, they owe universal whatever's left. Yeah. They yeah. owe it back. So he was like, they, they turned the offer down cause they weren't confident that they were going to not, you know, go through this and then owe 200 grand. They're like 23 years old, owe $200,000 to a major record label. They yeah. didn't really want to do that. So you get signed to Columbia, you put out two records that, well, how well, do we know how well they did at the time? Not very well. Like they're, hmm. they charted very poorly. They sold very poorly. And that was one thing that ended up motivating Steve was he's just like, my first two albums were garbage. Huh? Like guys, we've got to get back into the studio and put out something better. Hmm. Right, like he really yeah. was—he was a man making a product, right? Yeah, right. It wasn't like I'm an artist and I'm just going to stick to how I feel, and I don't uh, care. He's really trying he to was, make some music that people are going to buy. Yeah, like I was watching another interview with him, and he said superstardom was always in his mind. Huh. He was never going to settle for anything else. He was always in his mind going to become a superstar. Like that was the goal. Well, so that was his motivation. So when you when you believe you're going to be a superstar and then you churn out some albums that are garbage, you kind yeah, of give your head a shake and figure out what you yeah. did wrong. Really yeah. work at it. Huh? So, that's cool. That's really cool, man. But interestingly enough, while they're hard working, they're also one of the hardest partying bands. Mm -hmm. Sure. And so that starts to come out more in the eighties where they're just, doing drugs all the time and getting in fights with each other and their wives are getting in fights with the other band members wives backstage oh wow and so they end up like joe perry got fired or he said he says he quit steve tyler says he got fired 
<laughs> because his wife got in a fight with the bassist's wife. Like, they were throwing glasses at each other backstage. Holy cow, it's, wow. Like, it started becoming really dramatic. So Joe Perry leaves, the other guitarist leaves, the other guy. <laughs> like, nobody knows anyone in Aerosmith other than Steve Tyler and Joe Perry. Right. Anyway. <laughs> the other two guys. <laughs> the other Steve, two Joe, guys. and those other guys. Those other guys, right? And so they hire other guitarists. They put out some other albums, but they're, again, not very successful. Huh. And then they try having a reunion in 1984. Okay. The band manager confronts them about their drug problems. He says, if you guys don't go to rehab, I don't think this band is going to work. Wow. I think we talked about this in our last episode. Plug for the last episode again here. (laughs) We're like, drugs give you, they take you to a certain level when you're being creative. And then after that, you can't function. Uh, yeah. As a as a performing artist, right? And that was kind of what they were running into. They were just hitting it too hard. Yeah. So Steve Tyler ends up going to rehab and then everybody follows. Huh. And they clean up their act and they reunite and they record some albums. And this is when they start hitting like their singles that, I don't know, people our age would know, like Dude Looks Like a Lady and Living on the Edge. And sure. Those ones that were real, like the real radio hits. This is in the 80s? Late 80s, yeah. Late 80s. He's so like dude looks oh, He was sorry. born in 48, so he's like pushing 40 at this point. Yeah. Which is like kind of old for a Although they're really one of the first rock bands, right? Like the real yeah. rock and roll, like they're one of the first ones. Same with yeah, same like Rolling Stones and yeah. Beatles and yeah. Led Zeppelin. Like all the Kiss, all these guys are starting to get old, right? Like they've already been kicking out records for 15 years. Wow, interesting. Yeah, it, it's it's interesting when you compare it to you know all these superstars that died when they're twenty seven, yeah. all these guys that are getting famous when they're you know in their early twenties. You yeah. listen to Van Halen stuff and like, how old were they when they were doing this? Good crap, man! I haven't done anything with my life. Oh, don't even get me started. Like every, I was watching Miss Congeniality on the weekend. Uh, yeah, with young Sandra Bullock, and I'm like, right. I'm like the same age now as what she is, and she was on the silver screen, and I'm just <laughs> I'm on my couch eating Doritos in my underwear, right? Yeah, Ugh. I know it's and and especially I've noticed in the last couple of years is when I've really started noticing that a lot of these people I see that are doing really cool things. I'm like, I look them up, and they're like six years younger than me. Yeah, I'm oh, like, yeah. whoa, I'm freaking, I'm an old fat loser. Like what? What happened? So that's where I got the idea of doing this podcast was I was realizing I had a lot of time in the evening free. <laughs> because you saw Sandra TV. Bullock and you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. And I'm like, I can do more with my life. Got to do something. Talk to Blake and record it for an hour at once every two weeks. For, for 38 people in Canada and <laughs> 10 people in Mexico. And I don't even know how they're downloading because iTunes says we've had no downloads and Spotify says we've had like one. Huh. Our host says we've had 38, and I don't know how they're getting their hands on this podcast. They're bootlegging it somehow. Somehow they're You've getting it. You've been hacked, man. Hacked. That was the only. It's like, are people just trying to hack this account? Like, this is a yeah. free podcast. I don't know why you're trying to go around the. You're trying like, to commandeer my host yeah. hosting. I don't know and... You're trying to accomplish here, but that's cool. <laughs> so, to be determined, if you are listening to this, Send an email to garagebanddads at gmail.com and tell us how the hell you're listening to this because we have no idea. Okay, so Aerosmith, so they get back together in the 80s and they have a 
one thing that led to their comeback, did you ever listen to their cover with Run DMC of Walk This Way? Yeah, yeah. So Aerosmith is starting to lose relevance. They've churned through some band members. The record sales are going down. And then all of a sudden Run DMC wants to cover Walk This Way and still feed, they got Steve Tyler to re-sing the vocals on the chorus. Oh, and okay. Aerosmith was in the music video and all of a sudden Aerosmith is cool again. And then that's when they start releasing these, they get back together and they start releasing these other super hits. Huh. Okay. Right. Sure. So I just remember dude, like dude looks like a lady stands out to me because I remember being five years old and seeing the trailer for Mrs. Doubtfire. Totally. Mrs. Doubtfire. And, and they play that song. And yeah. I thought they wrote that song for the movie, but no, that song came out five years before. Huh? Right. And then it came. It was just, and then it was just a coincidence that they could use it for Mrs. Doubtfire. And I th- that was like yeah. the first time I heard Aerosmith. That was probably me too, actually. No, I think it was a little before Doubtfire. It was um, Weird Al introduced me actually to a lot of my oh, my musical with, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Living in the Fridge. Living in the Fridge. was my first, uh, first Aerosmith experience, yeah. I think the other one I can remember is when they were on The Simpsons with Flaming Moe's. Okay. That episode where like... Homer has this drink where he lights it on fire before you drink it. And right. then Mo steals it and his bar becomes amazing and famous <laughs> and he calls the drink the flaming Mo. Right. And Aerosmith comes and plays at at the bar. And so I think <laughs> between those two things and they both happened, you know, within a couple of years when I'm still young, like four or five in my formative years, and yeah. I'm like, Oh, this band is cool. But I think like one thing that led to their constant success was their ability to enmesh themselves in pop culture. So it's just like huh. they do the Run DMC song, and then they're on The Simpsons, and that'll and get now you. We're on this movie, yeah. That brings you fully into the into the popular popular arena again. And you keep getting a younger audience, and a younger yeah. audience, and a younger audience. Huh? How do they, they do did that? that again? I don't know. They're did just, they do it, or do like, people come to them? I don't know. That's a good question. But they just like same thing with Armageddon. Like Armageddon introduced Aerosmith to a whole new generation of fans. Absolutely. Right? Like I yeah. I remember the song. I remember slow dancing to that song. Right. You know? And then all of a sudden I'm watching the movie and I keep hearing all these other songs. I'm like, oh, is this all Aerosmith? Like did Aerosmith do the whole soundtrack? And my dad's like, yes, and this is all Aerosmith. <laughs> I'm like, oh, these guys are pretty cool. And their cover of Come Together by Beatles is, like, way better than the Beatles version even. Oh, they that did on, that, didn't they? Yeah, and that was on Armageddon too. yeah. Huh. I just have, like, I just hate the Beatles for some reason, so that's why I had to <laughs> say that. We just lost all of our listeners. I don't care. If you disagree with me on how terrible the Beatles are, then write us hate mail, garagebanddads <laughs> at gmail.com. And if hey. you'd like to be a guest and battle us on how terrible the Beatles are, we'd, we'd be happy oh, yeah. to invite we'll you. We'll throw down. I'll throw we down. We'll throw down on... Oh, I hate the Beatles. No problem. The only thing that's worse than the Beatles is a fan of the Beatles. <laughs> and I'd say Coldplay as well. Like Coldplay fans are just as bad as Beatle fans because if somebody says, I really like Britney Spears or something like that or Ariana Grande and you're like, yeah, not really my thing. They're like, okay, whatever. But if you're like, I don't like the Beatles, people are like, what did you say? That's true. It's kind of like, like their religion, right? They're like, how can you not believe in the yeah. God of John Paul? George and Ringo. It's like being vegan or CrossFit. Like you have oh, yeah, one hundred percent. You gotta talk about it. Tell and, everybody. And if nobody, if people don't, uh, if they're not on board, then 
you must teach them the error of their ways or run them over afterwards in the parking lot. Like it is a religious fervor. It's yeah. almost like that's true. With, like Coldplay, it's like I'm. I just kind of I stopped being sixteen, and I didn't want to be depressed anymore, so I don't like listening <laughs> to music like that. Like, did you bring your tissues and Xanax to their concert? And they're like, "What are you talking about?" <laughs> I'm like, uh, "Have you heard any of their music?" Because and like everything on their albums, because I have tried probably three different times in my life to really get into Coldplay because everybody else talks about how great they are. Yeah. And every time I'm like, every song that is not a radio single is absolute unintelligible garbage. Just crap. It is just filler. Like, I'm just like, this has. Where the hell's the melody? Huh. I don't know. This is like Chris Martin crying into a mic because he married <laughs> Gwyneth Paltrow, named his daughter Apple. And he's I mean, realizing what he's done. <laughs> it's just full regret. Really it, for the 100%. name the name thing, man. I mean, what is that? Where <laughs> well, we could make an episode about the weird names people name their kids. Yeah. Uh, or just you know, how much I hate Chris Martin. We could do one on that too. Yeah, probably, Maybe we right? should. Huh. Okay, where where are we? Um, so just quick, <laughs> Run DMC, they all yeah. were born in like the mid-60s. So they were okay. prime Aerosmith time, man. Like in right. their, they did the, uh, when was this? 86, mid-80s when they uh, did Walk This Way. Yeah. Um, I mean, so they were like, they were like around 20, early 20s. But they were probably all listening to Aerosmith. Their dads were, well... Well, anyway, that's if, they was, dads, if they had dads, if they had dads, if their dads were around, that's I feel like that's a shouldn't have said that. Um, but that's what whatever, for. <laughs> take that out in post, baby, because I'm gonna get sued into oblivion. <laughs> Causing but someone at least distress. that means people are listening, right? I'd rather have a podcast that makes people mad than a podcast that nobody listens to. Hey, that's true. I'm pretty much at rock bottom anyway. Sue me if you yeah. want. What? Yeah. Can't get any You'll worse. You'll get every last <laughs> nothing. <laughs> oh, high five you. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> we're even. But yeah. yeah, so these guys are are born in, this, in the 60s, so they're listening. Like Aerosmith is starting to do things when they're like 10, 15 years old. And, I mean, that's when I started really listening to music when I was, yeah, like probably – 14 something like that yeah so it's like perfect time and so it makes sense and then here and just looking at run dmc it says uh they wanted a um they wanted an element that would appeal to rock rock fans as well when they were making this album run dmc right. and if they all knew aerosmith like growing up that was they were like one of the big bands when they were in their formative years it makes sense to reach out to them that and was I, a big thing oh sorry I, I just wonder if that same thing is going to apply when we get into um Oh, like Mrs. Doubtfire and right. whatever. As people are asking them, it's like guys that grew up when that that was the band when they were younger, and so that they've always been. There's been that nostalgia factor, right? Yeah. Because a lot of things, even if they're not good, a lot of things that we love, we just love them because they happened to us when we were young, and we think they're good, you know. But how many movies or TV shows or or songs have you gone back and listened to or watched or consumed or books, and you're like, wow, this is horrible, but I still love it. I loved yeah. it then, and I even still like it now, even though it's not good. I know what you mean. Like, I tried watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the TV okay. show. Yeah. And I was like, season one, okay, this is good. Season two, all right. And then after that, I was like, okay, I remember why I stopped watching the show. <laughs> right? And but it, I've tried like to I watch. I get the nostalgia out of it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I've tried to watch Indiana Jones with my wife 
a few times. She falls asleep. She's not interested at all. Yeah, yeah. can't do it. We watched. I did get her to watch Star Wars. We're we're almost caught up on Star Wars, right. um, and she's okay with it. But she was picking apart a New Hope. A New Hope. It's so good. But there's things like <laughs> something happens bad. Something bad happens to Luke, and he says, "Blasted." And it's like the worst, <laughs> dude. It's bad. It's so cheesy. It's just oh, so yeah. poorly done. But I've never noticed it before. Never once noticed it until I'm watching it with my wife, and he says it, and, and I cringe. And then she just starts laughing out loud. I'm like, "Well, there, there it goes. You're just tearing apart everything that I hold dear." Do you know? Like I feel that way about Empire Strikes Back. Like I love the end and I love the beginning, but everything in the middle, I'm like, "Oh, spare me! Like spare me." <laughs> But that's because you're you Most probably watch movie. movies like your dad and you just when you watch the matrix you start at the lobby scene <laughs> you, who needs all that other stuff red pill blue pill i don't care I get to the guns well i remember Let's... when i was a kid i was i remember as a kid watching it because every like all my aunts and uncles would talk about how great it was and how it's the best one in the trilogy and then i'd be watching it and i'd be like all this jedi training and all this love story between uh, han and leia is so boring right when's this right. movie gonna be good again Let's get the action. And then and then I grew up and then I convinced myself that I liked all that stuff in the middle. But now all I do if I ever watch that movie is I just watch the lightsaber duel uh-huh. between Darth Vader and Luke sure. on YouTube and that's all I watch because it's the best. Because <laughs> the rest is meaningless. Oh, my God. Like that scene is beyond amazing. When this was something they never were able to do and they still haven't with Kylo Ren been able to duplicate how menacing Darth Vader is. Mm, yeah like when he walks in there and he's just like obi-wan has taught you well but you are not a jedi yet yeah lights up his lightsaber like he's badass man and he's got that big booming voice like it's oh i will villain has ever compared to that he's the ultimate he's the best yeah it's true and kylo ren i don't think it's trying to be him he never could anyways no but i will say the one thing that was awesome was uh the end of Rogue One, that last scene in Rogue One. Oh, yeah. When he, like, kicks down the door and his <laughs> lightsaber extends out of nothing. And he just just manhandles, like, 15 of these guys. Oh, my gosh. I was just, like, couldn't. I mean, oh, yeah. I, I didn't really like Rogue One that much. The more I've watched it, the more I've, it's grown on me. But when I first saw yeah. it, I was like, that's eh, okay. But that scene, man, I was just, like, pooping my pants in the theater. I couldn't stand up because... I had boy problems and it was just like, <laughs> man, it was good. That's Vader, dude. That's Darth Vader. I know. Well, the thing I loved about Rogue One, Rogue One's like one of my favorite action movies because it's okay. a self-contained story and I'm not sure. looking for a prequel and I'm not looking for a sequel and it's not set up for anything else. It is this one self-contained story and it's got all the Star Wars fan service yeah. and it's over and I'm not like waiting two more years for the next episode to come out. Sure. That, that was what I really, really liked about it. Anyway, here so, we go. So, yeah, uh, run DMC, Aerosmith. Run DM- yeah. <sighs> I'm on the wrong Wikipedia page. Yeah. So they're they're starting to kill it. I mean, they just keep coming back into pop culture. People keep pulling them into into the mainstream. Did you know Is they that had a roller keeps... coaster? Oh, my. No. Like, at Disney, at Disney uh, World. That almost Florida. sounds familiar. It was the rock and roller coaster and – as you're going through the roller coaster, it's all Aerosmith music. And I think even when you're on the roller coaster, it was all Aerosmith music. Huh. So now you've got all these young kids who are going to a theme park and they're all learning about Aerosmith. 
So, okay, is Aerosmith paying to get this? No, they're, they're getting paid for this, right? I think, like, Disney is like, we're doing a, a rock-themed roller coaster. Who wants to be the face of it? And Aerosmith's like, we'll do it. Who's paying who for that? I don't know. I don't know that part. Maybe I should have prepared better. You've got very, very good questions here. I, this is a good question. Who pays for this crap? Yeah. The Rock and Roller Coaster. I'm going to click on that on Wikipedia. The Rock and Roller Coaster starring Aerosmith. Huh. I wonder who... Okay, that's like the mechanics of it. Um, I wonder who... Uh, yeah, that's really curious. Interesting. So, yeah, I guess... <clears throat> I mean, after their first couple albums that didn't do well, and their third album starts doing well, are the rest of their albums just kind of following suit and and selling like crazy? Do they just stay stay good forever? Like through the 70s they do okay, but then in the mid-80s they released two albums that were kind of bombs, and that was when Joe Perry and the other guitarists left. Okay. So, and then they get back together. And then Run DMC does a cover. Okay. And then they release uh, two more albums in the 80s, and that's when they start coming out with their more... You know how all of a sudden they started using like a saxophone and a synth? Mm, yeah. Like everyone was in the 80s? Yes, yes. So that was, you know, like you're living on the edge and uh, walk this way, or not walk this way, dude looks like a lady and they start writing some sappy ballads yeah. like Angel and sure. Crazy and uh, stuff like that. So they start getting success again in the 80s, but a bit of it was, it was hmm. Run DMC just kind of launched them into the collective consciousness of everybody. It's like, sure. oh, Aerosmith is relevant again. Let's see what music they're making. Huh. So that, I guess what I'm wondering is, were they always relevant and people were picking them as their collaborative partner, whether it's Run DMC or Mrs. Doubtfire or no, Disney? No, they weren't. The, or, the were these, all... <clears throat> or were these guys that like loved them and wanted to... They convinced their investors that, like, hey, I love these guys. There's nostalgia there. Guys my age are going to pay for this. Plus, it's just it, it's more like a passion project that they get going. You know what I'm saying? Not quite. Like, is yeah. <laughs> I should just go to bed. Like the short answer to your question is: so they had two albums in the early '80s, "Rock in a Hard Place" in 1982, and "Done with Mirrors" in 1985. And those albums were without Joe Perry, and they weren't very successful. Okay. But then they did Permanent Vacation, and that was like their comeback. Okay. That was their actual comeback, and that was oh, after yeah. their run DMC. Five million copies sold. Yeah. So they're done with Mirrors. Was when That was when they were trying to make a comeback, but it kind of failed. But then Permanent Vacation comes out, 1987. That one has Dude Looks Like a Lady, Angel, and Ragdoll. And you'll know Ragdoll. You won't know it by the name, but if you heard it, Ragdoll, you'd know it. Okay. It's like Ragdoll, Mama's Little Cutie. Do, do, oh, yeah. Coming over to see me. Yeah, totally yeah. know that. So, like, they've got a lot of songs that are on Jack FM, like, all the time. Right. <laughs> and then 1989, they come out with Pump, which has Love in an Elevator, Janie's Got a Gun, The Other Side, right? Oh, yeah, The Other Side. Yeah. Okay. So that's when they start. It's late 80s. They had two al forgettable albums. At the start of the 80s, late 80s, they have this comeback. Part of it is because Run DMC. Sure. Yeah. 
So I don't. Does that answer your first question? Like, I, I don't know. I part guess part of the I... reason, like, they're making the other two albums because they're on contract to do so many albums with the sure. label, and they just have to make an album. They got to do it. Yeah. yeah. So. Hmm. Whether or not I, they made money on the album, I guess I need to do more research because I still, yeah, I'm just curious if if the reason people are hiring them or if the reason like Run DMC is picking them and all these these pop culture right. things are getting them is because they were already a pretty big band, and so they're yeah. just they're just like we'll pick the biggest band that we can get, and Aerosmith was that band, or if it was more because the guys who the guys who wanted to do it with them um, loved Aerosmith. Because they grew yeah. up with Aerosmith kind of thing. And they know their last two albums were kind of crap, but they're like, whatever. They're still touring. They're still working. Let's get them because I like them. And they're also like big, I, but I also really like them. I would think that with Steve Tyler's idea of having to be a megastar, right, that that's yeah. his goal. I think they just sold out and they were happy hmm. to sell out. Whereas maybe Rolling Stones and, sure. and Led Zeppelin were more true, wanted to be true to their music, so, right? And I got to imagine that stuff like that gets around the industry too, right? Yeah. And so you run DMC, your Mixmaster Mike, is that his name? And uh, um, <laughs> I, I don't know. know. The Mixmaster Mike's with Beastie Boys. Yeah, okay. So you're whatever the guy's name is at <laughs> yeah. run DMC, and you're like, hey, we need to get more, more uh, something that's like rock and roll. And yeah. I just totally lost who, my train Who will of sell out with it? We asked, who will sell out with it? Who's going to be easy to work with? Who's going to be acceptable? <laughs> Yeah, who's going to yeah. be popular enough to make make this work, but also easy to work with? And they maybe they don't even want to talk to Mick Jagger about it because he's just, you know, he's just like a loose cannon. Yeah. So they don't even think about it. But everyone in in the industry knows like Aerosmith will, Aerosmith will do it. They're popular. Yeah. They're good, and they love to put their name on stuff like a roller coaster. Yeah. Although well, I feel like the Rolling Stones having a roller coaster just makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> it does, but maybe they're just like we don't want to be the rock band with a Disneyland roller coaster for kids. We're a rock band. We do drugs and we have sex. Like, yeah, but we're not I mean the rolling, friendly. the rolling. I know. Coaster. I get like I get the name. They I missed their the, true calling. They, they, <laughs> the whole purpose of that band was missed. You think you have success sure. now, but if you had made the freaking roller coaster, Mick, unbelievable. Yeah. Anyways, we've talked about this for a while, okay, and I talk- feel like it's made me stupider. <laughs> so, I feel like I just didn't prepare enough. Me too. So we're, Armin, we're, <laughs> we're wow, two sides of the same coin. Um, <laughs> it's like we've never done this before. Before, which yeah, I think if we just keep kicking episodes out, eventually we'll have a good one. Yeah, kind of like Aerosmith. That's <laughs> that's how you do it, right? That's how you do it. They can't all be so, winners. Yeah, exactly. So where so does – oh, they did Beavis and Butthead too. Yeah, dude. Okay, so where are we at? Armageddon, what year is this? Yeah. 80, so 90, 95 or something? 97. Now, do you remember the big fight me and you got into over Armageddon? And no. And the movie that came out at the same time? Deep Impact? Yeah. Refresh my memory. Okay, so you were complaining that Armageddon wasn't believable enough because, because the asteroid had – Gravity. Yeah, gravity, right? Because they're drilling. And, I remember this because as they're drilling yeah. into the asteroid, the rock chips like fly Just up and fall down machine. exactly yeah. like they would in yeah. a studio. Yeah. But then, Deep Impact, which was a way more boring movie, was more scientifically true. Very and you were exciting. Like, Deep Impact is it is a, is a way better movie. 
And I'm like, this movie is terrible and boring. Like Morgan Freeman, Tia Leone. It's like Morgan Freeman doing his lullaby voice the whole movie. Just putting you to sleep. Brace for impact. It's an yearly extinction level event. Uh, Is that a good Morgan Freeman? You thought he was here, didn't you? I did. Yeah, I know. I'm super good at that one. If you hate our Morgan Freeman, remember, send us hate mail. Email us. GarageBandDads. At is, that it, is that even a real email address? I made it. Yeah, I did. I know because I, I emailed really it when you said it the first time to see if it worked and it oh, went through. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're legit. We are legit. We have a Gmail account. So. Morgan Freeman. Freeman. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah, Armageddon's not as good as Deep Impact that you were saying. It was 100% a better movie, like in terms of entertainment value, which is what a movie should do. No physics. They sent... Instead of training astronauts on how to drill a hole, they trained drill riggers on how to be astronauts. I mean, which makes way more sense, right? Way more sense. Obviously, more. that is the sensible choice. If you're Michael Bay, <laughs> if you're Michael Bay, sense, it is. Right? That's true. That's true. So I don't like they actually explained the gravity on the asteroid. Billy Bob Thornton says it's spinning, so you're going to have some gravity on it. Like they explained that it doesn't away make sense. Enough. That's opposite yeah, of how that works. No, because when you're spinning, you get centri- centripetal force or whatever, right? Yeah, but that pushes you out. No, it pulls you towards the center. No, it doesn't. What did you get in grade 12 physics? Super good. Okay. <laughs> like 130 or something. Did you? Okay. That's what I thought. Okay, sorry. I didn't I didn't get it. Okay, wait. Okay, you're right. I'll... Let me just – I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Can we get your dad on the phone? Yeah, we should because <laughs> here's what I'm thinking. You know, in all these – in all these space movies lately where they have artificial gravity in a yeah. spaceship, it's because it's like a big old ring that's spinning and the floor is the outside of the ring. Oh, yeah. Because gravity, it's pushing them away from the center. You're right. Okay. So okay. Billy Bob had his physics backwards, which makes wrong. me even more angry. <laughs> I was right all along. But in terms of sheer entertainment value, is a better movie. Let's be it honest. It had Aerosmith. For the it had, damn it had Aerosmith. Did... It had Steve Tyler's daughter. It had Michael Clark Duncan just yeah. being the man. Bruce Willis, Ben Affleck, Owen, Owen Wilson. I mean, Owen Wilson. Owen Wilson was in that. Yeah, he wow. dies right away. Okay, and then his body gets slammed against the, the windshield <laughs> of the other spaceship. Oh, sure. Yeah. Wow, it's been a long time since I've seen that, but I'm certain you're right that Armageddon was a better movie overall. And it's got who else does it? Have? Oh, what's his name? That creepy guy who's in every Adam Sandler movie. Steve Buscemi. Steve Buscemi's in it. That's right. Yeah. Do you say his name right because your wife's Italian? Yeah. That's anything that is involved with Italy or Portugal. Right. I am perfect at it. Okay. I I will concede to your pronunciation then. Yeah. Check that out. Steve Buscemi. Okay. So they have permeated pop culture. They are in the collective consciousness of the youth of the nation or whatever. Yeah. And then 2008 – they released Guitar Hero Aerosmith, and they were the first band to do like a, a Guitar Hero track pack or whatever they called them, right? Right, yeah. And it sells 567 copies in its first week. So if it was an album, it would have got gold status in its first week. 567,000? Copies, yeah. In the, the first week. Game. Wow. First week. Okay. And then $50 million in sales after three months. Wow. And then... So Guitar Hero releases a Metallica pack, and they discount the Aerosmith one because the new ones come out. Right. 
and then the Aerosmith one ends up outselling the Metallica one. Really? Yeah. Wow. That's really interesting. I, you know, initially I wouldn't have thought that that was the case, but that's probably because I know Metallica more than Aerosmith. Yeah. But well, I mean, that's what I thought too. And even I remember seeing the Aerosmith Guitar Hero pack come out, and like, I'm like, these guys are still around. Okay, this is really interesting, like, man. Because I, as we're talking about this, I'm like, it kind of makes sense because Aerosmith is more of like a classic rock. They're just like a a classic rock band that's yeah. more like ubiquitous and and. And uh, <clears throat> what's the word? Like less niche 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 Yeah, less of a niche than Metallica. Yeah, Metallica's sure. like a metal band. Yeah. And metal's always going to be less popular. That being yeah. said, James Hetfield, a quick little Google shows me he's worth 300 mil. And Steven Tyler's at like 120. I think Steve Tyler did more drugs. Maybe he smoked 100%. 200 million like, there's dollars this quote, drugs. There's this quote when he came out of rehab. He said, I just spent $64 million on drugs. Wow. But then Joe Perry's like, if you spent $64 million on drugs, you'd be dead, you freaking moron. <laughs> <laughs> well, it wasn't all for him. Yeah. Everyone around Steve was having a damn good yeah, time. Yeah, good time. Yeah. Huh. So that's, I mean, <clears throat> surprising at first, and then it kind of makes sense. Yeah. Well, I think there is something in the reviews for the game was they said the Aerosmith pack was too easy. Oh. But I have played Guitar Hero. <laughs> And when I'm playing Guitar Hero on, like, Expert or whatever, I'm like, I may as well learn real guitar. Yeah. Because this is just as hard as really playing the song. I think it's harder, to be honest. Well, because you've only got five buttons, right? Or whatever. You have only five buttons, and yeah. I can't do Expert. When I yeah. play Guitar Hero, it's, like, the one up from the lowest setting. So what I is mean, that? I, I, when I actually play it, I only play it on beginner or whatever. Yeah, I'm not good at all. I'm, I'm bad. The yeah. only thing I was good at was... Um, uh, number of the beast right okay iron maiden because my being able to play that on the guitar actually helped me play it on guitar hero right and it was funny because we were playing this at in my uh when i was at school in the states my roommates all were big on guitar hero they were awesome at it. i was the worst but i could beat them in the intro of that song every time right because right. of my supreme actual guitar skills translated to one <laughs> part of one song. Song. I, that was what was infuriating about that game was I was like, I can, I'm can. i getting crushed by nerds who can't yeah. play the actual instrument. It is infuriating, right? I'm good yeah. at guitar. I can play guitar. Yeah. I can't play this game. Yeah. So I think that's where – so anyway, hmm. you've got so this – Aerosmith was too easy, they said. Yeah, but, but who's going to buy it. that? Everyone. Because it's like, wow, a Guitar Hero game I can play without wanting to throw this fake guitar through my monitor, through my screen, right? How soon after Guitar Hero was a thing did this Guitar Hero Aerosmith become a thing? Uh, so Guitar Hero came out when I was a Mormon missionary. So I don't really know what year it came out. Like I just kind of missed it, and I came home, and everybody was already in it, into it and over it. Okay, know? yeah, yeah. yeah. came out in 05. Guitar Hero Aerosmith was 08. 08. Yeah. Three years later, huh? Interesting. I would have thought it would be faster than that. Because I felt like yeah. it was, it didn't last that long. Like Guitar Hero, you know, craze was there for a while and then it kind of died out. But maybe I don't, maybe it was just my friends. My friends too. Maybe we just grew up. Yeah, that's maybe, true. Maybe. So <clears throat> it's interesting. Well, anyway, where are we? They killed it on Guitar Hero Aerosmith is yeah, what we're saying. And they actually had a 40% increase in album sales 
when the pack was wow interesting so everybody started getting into aerosmith again because of the video game yeah that makes sense the the (coughs) president of activision or whichever gaming company made guitar hero said that aerosmith made more money on that licensing to that video game than what they made on any individual album or tour wow so that was like their unreal as a as a single product that they offered that was their most successful one that's really interesting and and you know kind of not surprising i just read an article and i should find it again because i don't remember the exact the exact numbers but the video game industry is so big yeah i think the thing i read was that like uh gta 5 yeah made 50 billion dollars in this whatever year and the entire movie industry made like seven yeah i, it was, I heard it was that. some crazy stat like that like you think movies are the big thing yeah no video games just one game decimated the entirety of the movie industry. industry yeah i heard the same thing about halo i think like when halo 3 came out it would have been the if it had been a movie it would have been by far the biggest movie of like all time yeah, it's it's crazy. Video games are there's so much money in that stuff. Yeah. Uh so, so this kind of makes sense like people are people are buying video games. Yeah. Like crazy. So it's almost like they're they're smart business like they're seeing Yeah, it sounds like they are. It sounds like they are. And maybe that's how they're getting all these things. Maybe yeah. they they have their agent out there like Yo, look for anything that we can get in on. We are we, looking to be superstars. Yeah, we want to work. We want to put our name on anything that's not crap. So yeah. find us stuff. Huh. That's probably that's probably it. I imagine that's what's happening. That's really cool. So that yeah, like it, this was a very very interesting story to get into because you just even Aerosmith like once they started doing all those power ballads and all that kind of crap in the 80s. Yeah. I'm just kind of like these guys are kind of a joke band in my mind. Yeah, sure. As much as they are talented, I'm like, you guys are kind of silly, right? Right. Like, why do you have synth and saxophone in half <laughs> your songs? Like, it's just weird, right? But then you just see, like, these guys are are smart. And they've all got a net worth. Every band member has a net worth over $100 million. Yeah, I saw that. They're all killing so it. So they're worth half a billion dollars Ooh. together. Like, Steve, do you know yeah. what, one thing to kind of prove our point about them just being willing to – slap their name on anything and trying to make a buck uh-huh. is Joe Rogan asked Steve Tyler, why did you go on America's Got Talent? And he's like, cause I wanted to buy a condo in Maui. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Right? Yeah. And I wanted to sit next to Jennifer Lopez. Like the, the huh. they had me sold with that. Right. Yeah. want to pay it. want to pay a few million dollars. We want you to, sit next to Jennifer Lopez every night for like, yeah, a few I'll, months. He's like, I'll do that. Done. Why would That's, I not do this? Absolutely. I'll do that. Right. Yeah. Whereas uh, maybe some other rock stars would be like, I'm not going on your lame talent show. Huh? Right. Yeah, for he's, sure. Yeah. He's a businessman. A hundred percent. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. It'll be interesting to. That just makes me think of Gene Simmons. It'll be interesting to get into that. I'm get sure at kiss. some point we will. Yeah, he is, but he's just such an a-hole. I mean, he's a weird dude. He's so, yeah, he's so ridiculously in love with himself. I remember when he's on Celebrity <laughs> Apprentice. Like, he's Trump levels of self-infatuation. <laughs> yeah. He has nice hair, him. though. He's got great hair. Yeah. No, he doesn't. I No. 
He doesn't. <laughs> no. Interesting. Right. Cool. So takeaways from the Aerosmith saga. Wait, are we done with them? We're they've done. had some. Yeah, we've, they've is... had some other albums since Guitar Hero. They have like the uh, mostly unremarkable kind of stuff, yeah. like no real radio hits. They are like they do have a residency now in Las Vegas, so oh, okay. they're just playing in Las Vegas now. Sure, and uh, which is where everybody goes to die, right? I think so. Celine Dion, Britney Spears, Backstreet Boys. Oh, did they? I didn't know about yeah. those two. Yeah, they're yeah. all doing it, man. They just go down, live in Arizona where it's warm, not crazy expensive. Yeah, put on a show like however many times a week, make a crap load of money and just, you know, no touring anymore. You go home every night. Yeah. The tour comes to you now. Yeah. 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 Inside sales instead of outside. hundred percent. So they they actually ended up with a good retirement plan. Yeah. Sounds like it. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. So what are the takeaways on Aerosmith? Like work hard. Yeah. There's no substitute for hard work. Treat it like a business, like we said last yeah. time. Yeah, hundred percent. But in this one, it's more the hard work that is the is the interesting thing. Yeah, like they just kept putting out albums. They just yeah. kept going five, on tour. Five albums in five years is insane. And, like they were high the whole time. So imagine yeah. you're like a doctor or a lawyer or a dentist or a whatever, a manager at Kinko's. Yeah, and not I can only are you all that those things, things. <laughs> you're trying to be the best lawyer, doctor, dentist, Kinko's manager in the entire world. Yeah. And you are freaking high the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's the only way, the only thing that made it possible. <laughs> I don't know. But they're like recording an album's hard enough. Recording an album while high is yeah. gotta be significantly higher harder. So just their like their sheer work ethic and will to make this happen. Mm-hmm. There's got to be a lot of, I imagine, a lot of self honesty there. You know, as you're rec- recording songs, I think that's a, a problem I've had, and with bands yeah. that I've had is like we we write stuff that's pretty good, but it's not yeah. great, and we just yeah. like we're just like cool, and maybe that's just because we're not that good, and it's as good as we're gonna get. But maybe yeah. if we were really brutally honest with ourselves, we'd say, you know, this is okay, but it can be better how and then dig that dig into that thing mercilessly until it becomes great maybe that's a thing i could have done and that's probably a thing that they do speaking of that so another mutual friend of ours matt maharis okay (laughs) is an amazing songwriter really like oh he was amazing so me and him and his brother all three of us used to play together yeah and he would write these songs and they were awesome like really awesome radio friendly huh. the whole composition from start to finish l- lyrics everything was awesome but i wanted to be the songwriting guy and it was sure. always like but i knew he was better than me he just like he had a talent so that was tough that i didn't have that was really hard. and when you're 16 you don't have the maturity to acknowledge True. where your strengths and where your weaknesses are yeah and so you just go straight to like disbelief you know yeah yeah denial and just keep keep yeah. writing as if you're the guy yeah and as if you're gonna be the guy yeah the, that's interesting because before poncho became poncho he wrote one song with us that was uh boris i don't know if you remember that one i don't think so it was really good 
It was really good. It was like a fun little pop punk thing about some drunk Russian guy they all ran into going getting pizza one day that I wasn't there for. Right. And I can still like, I still remember. And it had great like call and response, really cool chorus. Uh, yeah, it was a, it was a cool song. That's interesting. That guy's yeah, good. He wrote huh. some of the best stuff I've ever heard. And I huh. think when I look back on it, I wish I would have just caught onto that wave and just been glad I'd been a part of it instead yeah. of being like, well, this is like my band, my sure. band with my songs. Yeah, right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't think that. I wasn't even assertive enough to just be like, no, I don't like, I just kind of like, I go along with his thing, but I should have just been like, yeah, let's like record this. Let's get a show. Let's keep pushing, pushing, pushing. Yeah. We just pushed his stuff like crazy because his stuff is awesome. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, and that's, I wonder if that's um, jumping back, calling back to last episode. You know, I wonder if there's a difference here between, here's maybe the difference between <clears throat> Third Eye Blind, who can be the biggest band in the world three years after they start, yeah. after they form, and and write three of the biggest songs ever and then just fall into obscurity for the next two decades yeah. versus a band who can write a couple okay albums, some really good albums, a couple more meh albums, but just keep plugging away for, for like 45 years. Yeah. Still being somewhat relevant anyways, never really going away. Yeah. You know? And I imagine just thinking of personalities, which I obviously don't know any of these people, but um, thinking of what is his name? Stefan, Stefan, whatever. Stefan, Stefan Jenkins, Stephen Jenkins. Stephen Jenkins. Yeah. Stephen Jenkins just has this narcissistic, vibe to him you know that it seems like where where I could see that him not liking someone's music or just wanting to do it his way yeah and not being honest not being honest yeah. with himself you yeah. know having these expectations and then things falling apart and him blaming other things for it whereas you've got Aerosmith where it sounds like Tyler's a businessman first and foremost and he's going to make this thing work and if that means like waking the guys up, if that means going to rehab, whatever that means, if that means we got to scrap this song and do it again, like he'll do it until it's acceptable. A hundred percent. And I think like, he's not trying to screw over other band members. I think he realizes yeah. that he, it's a collaboration. Front man of Aerosmith, but he needs Aerosmith. Yeah. Right. He yeah. needs Joe Perry. Like, I think he understood their songwriting dynamic from the start. Sure. That Joe writes these sentences with music and I fill in the words and that's, and that makes sense. Cause they were gone. He was gone for two years or something and then came back. Yeah. A couple of years and they put out like their worst album without yeah. Joe. Perry, and so there's right? Tyler, there's Steven Tyler again being like, you know what? We need Joe. And he we goes need... and does whatever he does to make amends and, and gets him back and the band keeps going. Exactly. And I think maybe if Third Eye Blind would have realized that, yeah, could have been a different, could have been a different band. So there's some more takeaways. Yeah, no, be honest with yourself. Know, know the value of everybody around. I guess be critical. Like, Don't be afraid to be critical. I think it's like professional humility. It's kind yeah. of what I've been sure comfortable with. Is I've, it's like if your boss just tears your face off, you accept it even if you disagree with it. Yeah, right. Kind of thing. Because at the end of the day, like your boss sees something that you need to fix. And I think I was actually thinking about this, like when I had my last performance review 
is I thought I've never gotten better because somebody's told me how great I am. Mm-hmm. I've gotten better because people have told me what I'm not good at. Yeah. And then I've, it's given me something to work <laughs> on. Truth, yeah. man. So it's just, it's, I, I call it professional humility, like being humble enough to put your ego aside and do what's best for the band or the company or whatever you're a part of. Yeah. Take that criticism yeah. and, and use it. Yeah. Like re- yeah. realizing that I'm a small part of a bigger thing. Yeah. And what is stressing me out isn't as important as what stresses out the whole organization or the whole team or the whole whatever. Hmm. I need to focus on doing my job well. I don't need to focus on getting my way. It's kind of cool. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Interesting. Oh, the other takeaway is uh, sell video games. 100%. If you can sell a video game, sell a video game. You could probably retire. You sell one game. Crab man, look at the Flappy Bird guy. He was making 50 grand a day in ad right. revenue. Right. Just some random programming guy from China or whatever. 50,000 a day ad revenue and he's like, uh, people are people people like this too much. I'm going to close it down." <laughs> <laughs> oh, do you know I I had a friend who in university he had to make a video game okay. like using some kind of online software. Sure. But it was this video game where you were pretty much just a spaceship and you would you would drag your f- finger across, you know, from side to side of the screen on your iPad or whatever. Yeah. And you're trying to dodge asteroids and you're trying to get to Justin Bieber's next single to save it or something. Okay. Like, it's just weird. But I was playing it and I'm like, this game is awesome. This is like <laughs> a big time throwback to every old arcade game I played where I was just dodging asteroids. I'm like, you've really got to publish this. I don't think he did. He just did the project and was like, whatever. But I'm like, you could sell this for 99 cents sure. on iTunes. No or problem. do it free, man, and just get that sweet ad, ad revenue. Yeah. Okay. Well, next episode, the success or failure of our app game that we're about to launch. <laughs> Garage we're Band Dads. Garage Band Dads, the game. Throw Cheetos into my mouth while I <laughs> watch Star Wars <laughs> and scratch myself. Man, I think it'd be like it'd be like an office paper toss game. <laughs> it'd it just be like yeah, a fat guy on a, a fat couch. guy on a couch scratching his nards. Wearing a band, wearing a band T-shirt, <laughs> dreaming no about pants. what he used to be. <laughs> yeah. <no pants>. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we got a winner. Yeah. Hundred <laughs> percent. I yeah, I wouldn't disagree with you. Yeah. Well, I don't think we're gonna top that. So. Uh, I think it's a good time to sign off. Yeah. Thanks, man. And thanks. Uh, thanks for listening. And check out our sponsors. Uh, uh, guitar Hero. Aerosmith. Guitar Hero. Aerosmith. Go, go buy an Aerosmith record. Yeah, go see him not? in Vegas. Yeah. Why not? We'll, we'll advertise for them. Absolutely. They deserve Tell it. them to walk this way. Why, Why don't it? you guys all walk your way over here and listen to the next episode of our Let, podcast? That's right. Download it yeah. and uh, leave a review. Send us hate mail. GarageBandDads at gmail.com. Good night. All right, good night.